We're in uh, the middle of our Philippians study of our Philippians series where we've entitled The Art of Finding Joy. And so we've had a few themes running throughout. Uh, one of them is joy. Um, we've talked about unity a little bit. We've talked about humility. Um, but the overarching theme through Philippians is, is joy. And we're learning a lot from this community, from how, how the Philippian church is, how Paul is writing to this church, and how they interact with one another. So we'll talk about that um, in a second. Uh, I was reminded this week, whatever you guys experienced this week, um, hopefully you can just leave it. I was reminded right when I got in this morning that Carolina lost in a buzzer beater uh, on Monday night. And I totally forgotten that this week. Started off our week with like a big crusher in sports. Um, and then I was reminding of it, reminded of it again this morning. Thanks, Nat. Uh, but hopefully whatever you experience this week, you can just leave it and we can talk about the scriptures right now. We're here to worship Jesus and that, that's what this time is for. So if you're new to church, um, the next 30 minutes or so are going to be us just talking about Jesus and the church and what he's done. So let me start off with this. Um, how many of you guys, okay, so there's extroverts and there's introverts. And then there's probably a mix. So extroverts get their, get their, um, uh, they recharge around people. Introverts tend to recharge uh, when they're alone. And then some of you guys are probably a mix, right? So how many of you guys would say you're extroverts? Wow, I have, I have an extrovert back there raising two hands. That means she's definitely an extrovert. Wow, okay, so how many are introverts? Wow, yeah, yeah, way more introverts than extroverts. And how many would consider themselves a mix? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm like Cindy. Like, I'm like, boom, two hands, extrovert. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I went, uh, I wanted to spend some time by myself my day off. This was a couple weeks ago. And so I got a group on for skiing at Skyloft, which is around the Uxbridge area. And I'm like, man, I'm going to take all day. I'm going to go skiing. I'm just going to spend time by myself and just recharge. So <clears throat> I, get, I get there. I'm all excited. You know, it's just, just me. And I got all my gear on. I go to the top of the mountain. And um, I don't know if you guys have been to Skyloft, but you get down to the hill in like 30 seconds, less than 30 seconds. It's like, it's super quick. Um, and then I'm riding back up the lift. And I do that maybe twice, three times. And I was like, this sucks. I'm all by myself. <laughs> like, this is the worst idea I've ever had. Um, it was totally draining for me. Um, it wasn't, it didn't recharge me at all. So I started meeting people on the, on the chairlift. You're on the chairlift, the chairlift is really slow there. So I was on it for like two minutes at a time. And I'm just started meeting people and started like skiing with them down the hill. <laughs> like, <laughs> we got there, they like, all right, nice meeting you. I'm like, yeah, I'm coming this way. Because <laughs> uh, it was just, it was, it didn't recharge me at all. And I didn't even last the whole day. I was like, I'm going home. I'd rather go home and work than, than stay here all day by myself. So um, I went into that. And it got me thinking um, that when I think about it, three of my closest relationships 
in my entire life um, happened by me um, just really putting myself out there and, and saying, I don't care what's going to happen next. I'm just going to put myself out there. I'm going to meet this person. I'm going to um, press forward and, and developing a deep relationship and see what happens. One of those uh, is sitting right here in the front row. Her, her name is Missy, my wife. Um, in universities, some of you guys know, I was just walking in university, walked into a classroom, she was sitting there, and I was like, what the heck, here we go. Uh, um, and I just started talking to her. First time we met, first time um, I saw her, was actually the place, the spot where I proposed to her two years later. Um, yeah, just threw myself into it. The second one was when I was in seminary. Um, a guy named Nathan, some of you guys have met him. Uh, same thing. Seminary orientation. I look around and I'm like, I went to a seminary. It was, it was a bunch of, uh, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> it was a bunch of just regular white guys from the South. Okay, And I was like, man, I want to meet somebody cool. And I see, I see Nathan, and Nathan looks Egyptian. He's actually Mexican, but he looks Egyptian because he has this like pharaoh, pharaoh like uh, goatee thing. Looks like he's like Tutankhamun. So I was like, I'm gonna meet that guy. He looks like Saf actually. He looks kind of like Saf. So maybe he looks Sri Lankan. Um, I was like, I'm gonna meet that guy. So I just went up to him, and uh, I did the same thing I did Missy. I just introduced myself. We started talking, and I was like, let's be friends. Uh, and uh, we've been friends ever since. Third, third person is another guy sitting here in the front row. Um, it was when we decided to move to Toronto, and I got connected somehow to this guy, helped him move into his house, and we just hit it off. And I was like, let's be friends. <laughs> and we had coffee just north of here, our, our first coffee, and we planted a church together called Trinity Life Church, where you're at right now. So... Um, Three relationships, three of my closest relationships in my life happened by me just putting myself fully out there and saying, I don't know if they're going to reciprocate, but I'm going to go for it. So um, today I want to talk to you about community and how we do that in community and how we create a community that is doing that. Uh, because that's what we see in, in this passage. There's such a beautiful mix of relationships going on. Paul with Timothy, uh, Paul with Epaphroditus, Timothy and Epaphroditus with the Philippian church, Paul with the Philippian church in this community. And so this is what I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this statement. Um, this is the, the bottom line of the sermon is, if you expense yourself, you will experience community. If you expense yourself, you will experience community. Okay, so let's take a look at this passage. <clears throat> So, uh, beginning in verse 19, Paul starts out, and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now remember, Paul's in prison, okay? We've been walking through the book of Philippians. Uh, if you've forgotten, Paul is in prison right now as he's writing this. And so he's, he's in dire straits. I mean, he's, he's by himself. He's, I mean... He's probably not getting three meals a day. Prison today isn't like prison back then. Uh, he's, he doesn't have cable TV. He's like, he doesn't have a gym to work out in. Like he's, he's in prison and he's by himself and he's lonely. But 
and Timothy's with him right now, but he says, I'm going to expense what I will get from Timothy, and I'm going to send him back to you, the Philippian church, because I believe you guys need him more. And so Paul is doing this really at his own expense. And he says, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. Before we move on, when's the last time, when's the last time you did something for somebody that cost you something? And now, I don't mean just like you bought someone a coffee so it cost you $18 at Starbucks. Uh, I mean like, when did, when's the last time you did something for somebody that actually meant you weren't going to have it? So let's say all you had all you had left in the bank was five bucks and you gave it to somebody else, which means that you had nothing, nothing left. When's the last time you did that for somebody? You know, as, as a parent, and for you parents in here, um, that's something you do every day. You sacrifice for your kids every day. Um, now, those of you who don't have kids, that doesn't make me as a parent a better person because really as a parent, you're kind of forced to do it. You're like forced into sacrificing. You don't really want to do it. You're forced into sacrificing for your kids. But it becomes second nature. And then you realize that you actually get joy out of it. And so sacrifice, rather than taking away from us, it actually breeds joy in you when you do it. And it becomes like second nature for your kids. Um, Problem is, and this is talking to you parents, a lot of you guys don't take it out of that. You don't even sacrifice for your spouse. Um, so how do we take that mentality and put it into a community? How do we all have that for, for each other, where we're going to sacrifice for each other? This is what we see here, what's happening here, is Paul is doing this at his own expense, and he's willing to sacrifice his own pleasure, his own needs, his own desires for the sake of the community. Okay? Um, he's going to show us what this looks like. So going down to verse 20, he says about Timothy, for I have no one like him. This word could be literally translated like-souled, like-minded, like-souled. Like there's no one as like-souled as me. He's like, I have nobody like him, but I'm still going to give him to you. That's how close he is to Timothy. And he says Timothy is this way. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says, for they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. So he says Timothy's two things. He's concerned for your welfare, genuinely, legitimately, and then he's also uh, ardently pursuing Christ and his interests. And then in verse 22 he says, this shows something about Timothy. This shows his proven worth. This shows us how a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. And Timothy is, is imitating and, and emulating himself after the pattern of Christ in the Apostle Paul. And if we go back to, to Philippians chapter 1, we'll see, and we, we preached through this and, and taught through this, uh, these verses already in this chapter already. But if you go back to Philippians chapter 1, you'll see the type of person and the type of character that Paul has. And the fact that he says Timothy has proven his worth, proven his character, 
is huge because we see that for Paul, in whatever circumstances he's in, he says, I will rejoice. And he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says things like, I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, with full courage, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. This is the type of um, ministry and this is the type of life that Paul is living. And then he says this in verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he says, Timothy has proven that he's done that. That his life is, is worthy of that. Is the way in which you live your life, the way your manner of life, the way you make your decisions worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would Paul look at you and say, your character and your worth is proven, is proven in this manner? Uh, I take our girls to school uh, every morning. Um, Missy works uh, early in the morning, so I, I get up, I get the girls ready, um, get them breakfast and everything, and then I take them to school every morning. And uh, one day on our way to school, so we're driving, we drive to school, and we're driving on the way to school, and uh, sometimes I take uh, Monday mornings off, and so this was a Monday morning, and so this Monday morning in particular, um, I had taken off, and I, uh, I was going to work out afterwards, so I didn't shower beforehand, because I was like, well, I'm just going to drop them off, I'm going to go work out, and... Um, and so I didn't shower. And so we're, we're on the way to, to school. And um, I don't know, something hit me. I was like, oh, shoot. Uh, and the girls are like, what? What, Daddy? Did you forget something? Because <laughs> that happens. Um, and I was like, yeah. I was like, I forgot my hat. I was like, uh, and I look in the mirror, and my hair is like crazy. It's like all messed up. I meant to grab a hat on the way out the door. I was like, I forgot my hat. And I start like trying to, to like flatten it out or push it down. And I was like, it doesn't look that bad, right, girls? And Emerson's like, no, Daddy, it looks really bad. <laughs> and I was like, what? It's like, come on. She's like, okay, okay. It doesn't look bad. It just looks funky. And I was like, great, great. Odds are you think your character and it doesn't look that bad. But odds are, it at least looks funky when we compare it with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life that Paul is calling us to live. This life where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This life where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This life where he says, I don't care what happens to my body, I'm going to live with full courage with all that I am to bring glory and honor to Christ. And this is the example that Paul has set for Timothy. And when he calls, when he talks about Timothy, he says, Timothy has proven his worth as a son to me, as a, as a father in the faith to him. And then he says again in verse 23, I hope, therefore, based on all this, because of all this, I hope to send him to you soon. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will come also. And that's, that's the example of Timothy. Um, and we see this 
this really intimate relationship between Paul and, and Timothy here. Now, uh, in verse 25, we have Epaphroditus. So, um, Paul says, I've also thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, minister to my needs, someone who the Philippians actually sent to Paul while he's in prison. So Epaphroditus has come from the Philippian church. He's been sent to Paul in Rome, in prison, to care for Paul. And Paul says to the Philippian church in this letter, he's like, actually, I'm going to send him back to you. And we'll see why. So he says why here. Verse 26, for Epaphroditus has been longing for you all. So Epaphroditus is longing for the community of faith. He's longing for his community, for the Philippian community. How many of you guys say, I long for Trinity Life Church? Yeah, I got one. (laughs) I long for the community here. That's what Epaphroditus is saying. He's like, I long for this. I've I've missed this. I'm longing for, for you all. Paul says he's also been distressed because... You heard that he was ill, that he was sick. That can literally be translated as as he was, um, in verse 27, not just near to death, but Epaphroditus looked like death. He resembled death. So when Paul writes this, he's saying, man, Epaphroditus, he looked like death. He was dying. And he says, he's distressed because you heard that he was ill. So this gives us a glimpse in the type of community that the Philippian church is. Epaphroditus is distressed because he's worried that they're worrying too much about his situation. Do you follow that? Like he knows they're so concerned about one of their own. And they didn't have email back then. Like no one was texting him from Philippi saying, hey, we're praying for you. We hope you get better. Um, we miss you. Like he didn't. He didn't know. They're they're hundreds of miles apart, thousands of kilometers apart, um, and and for all he knows, they're having a great time. But he knows the community he came from, and he knows that they are extremely concerned about his well-being. Not only that, he's part of that community, and he's concerned about their well-being. Because he's like, I don't want them to worry too much because I'm in God's hands and I'm, I'm better. Uh, Paul says uh, in verse 27 that God had mercy on him. Uh, so he's just worried about that community. Now, our Trinity Life Church is, um, you know, this is kind of our Sunday face, but we, we get broken down into small groups during the week, which we call body life groups. And our, our body life group in Midtown uh, has had three people, will have three people in the span of two months who've had surgeries and been really ill. So one's, one's had a surgery, um, and then her incision actually opened up. Um, another one just had massive, massive surgery. Um, if you guys know Wendy... Uh, she had a massive surgery that actually had some complications, and then the doctors had to go back in. So she had two surgeries within a span of hours where they did something, they closed her up, and then 
they had to go back in and do it again. Um, and then we'll have another another person have surgery in a week, two weeks, a week. Um, and so uh, our BOG has been experiencing this, this what, what um, Epaphroditus is experiencing, what the Philippian church is experiencing with Epaphroditus. We've been walking alongside these three people um, through their illnesses, through their, their, um, through their surgeries and their recoveries. And, and so we've been trying to live this out for them. And if you are in a BLG, this is what your body life group is for. It's to live life together in this way to where you know if, you, if something happened to you, that's your community. That's the community that's longing for you. Like we miss uh, Shaokyo. We miss Wendy. Um, just their physical presence with us because they've been, they've been recuperating and haven't been able to come when we gather together. But at the same time, we know that they feel the same way and they miss the community and they, they miss... Uh, sharing life more closely together in those corporate in those corporate times in our uh, during during the week, and so if you're not involved in a body life group, it's gonna be very hard to experience that type of community here. Um, I would almost say you're not gonna experience it here in a corporate setting like this. You have to go into a smaller group, a body life group is what we call it here. And we call it a body, that sounds weird. Um, some people are like, well, how do you call it that? Which I love when people ask that because it's not just a life group. You're not just living life over here. It's saying that you're actually meant to live life in the body, in a community, in a, a corporate, when I say corporate, I don't mean like business. I mean bodily, uh, bodily functions, bodily form. <laughs> uh, sometimes bodily functions happen in small groups. <laughs> we deal with people's junk, you know, people's stuff, and that's awesome. Life happens there. Like, we, sh we confess sin, we share life, we help each other when, when they're in need. Um, someone in our group right now is really fin in, in a lot of financial distress. Who should she come to first? Us. Because we're there to take care of her. This is the picture of the body that Epaphroditus' relationship with the church at Philippi is giving us right now. And so it says he was near to death. Jump down to verse 30, and it says he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in his service to me. And so Epaphroditus, he's, he pushes himself to the extent where he He's giving everything he is for the work of Christ in the service of his brother in Christ. And so he's doing this all for Jesus, and then he's saying, I'm going to do this for Paul. Like, in his service, I'm going to do this for him. And he almost dies doing it. Are you in that type of community right now? Would you say that Trinity Life is that type of community? Before you answer those questions, ask yourself, are you expensing yourself? I talked to two people this past week. Um, both have been a, both 
have been a part of Trinity Life Church for over, a little over two years, so almost since the beginning of, of uh, when we became a church. And I got two very different stories. Um, the, the first person is, is kind of slash has uh, left. Um, and their reasoning was, I just didn't experience community. I just didn't experience the community I was looking for. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of friends in the church, was, was the terminology. Um, the second person said, I've never experienced community like this before, ever. In the past two years, I've never had community like this. I've been in church all my life, this person said, and I've never experienced anything like this in the past two years. It's been totally amazing, transforming for me. And what's the difference between these two people who've been with us for the same amount of time at the same time? Well, one was, one had given themselves to the community, totally expensed themselves. The other one never did that. The other one was just here wanting to fall into community, wanting it to happen. And this one expensed themselves. And they weren't doing it to get community. Just in the expense of themselves, they found community. And if you expense yourself, you will experience community. And this is what we see with Paul. This is what we see with Timothy. This is what we see with Epaphroditus. This is what we see as a whole with the Philippian church. They're just giving of themselves. And what's happening is it's feeding and breeding community, genuine, transparent community. So let me give you four ways that, uh, four ways, four, four ways this looks, I don't, yeah. So four ways to expense yourself to experience community. Um, one is a genuine concern for others. We see that in verse 20 with Timothy. Paul notes that about Timothy. He says, he's worried about your welfare. Just a genuine concern for others. Two is seek the interests of Jesus Christ. This is also spoken about Timothy. He says, a lot of people love to seek their own interests, but Timothy, he's seeking the interests of Christ. Now, the awesome thing is, okay, so if you seek your own interests, you're probably not going to get the interests of Christ. Of, yeah, of Christ. But when you seek Christ's interests, what's the, the awesome thing is you'll get your own interests wrapped up in there as well. Okay? Because what happens in that is when you seek the interests of Christ, your own interests start to become refined and defined and molded and shaped um, in Christ Jesus. And so Timothy is doing this. He's seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. Number three is redefine your familial relationships. Okay? Um, that's very hard for us to do. Let me sit on this one a little bit. It's, you know, he says Timothy treated himself as a son to me, as his father. Now, they weren't uh, biologically father and son. It was just in the faith. Um, there's other, the New Testament is full of familial language. Uh, the household of God is what the church is called. And the family of God, the church is called. Um, he's always referring to, to, to 
men in the church as brothers. He's referring to women in the church as sisters. It's very familial. Um, it's set up that way with, uh, he also says, you women in the church should mother the younger ones as daughters. You men in the church should father the younger men as sons. And so very, it's very uh, familial. Jesus, uh, and Jesus establishes this in the Gospels. You know, he's, there's, this one, there's this one scene in the Gospels where he's sitting in this house. The house is packed out with all his, his disciples and people following him. And, you know, some people just probably wanted to see him do something awesome, some miracle. He's got a huge crowd following him. And um, some people walk in and they say, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. You need to go, go outside. Your mom and your brothers are out there. And he's like, actually, this is my family. My mom and my brothers are here. The ones who do the will of the Father are my brothers and sisters. The ones who are my disciples are my brothers. This is my new family. And he starts to redefine what family looks like. It's not about blood. It's not about biology. It's about community. Okay? And Jesus goes on and he says so many other seemingly harsh words about family and, and loving him and what love, what pursuing him and, and love for him looks like compared to loving your family. He says one looks like love, one actually looks like hate. And so um, this is Jesus, this is Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, the Philippian church, taking Christ's example and starting to redefine what family looks like. Okay? And so since we've started Trinity Life Church, uh, we've used terminology like that. We've used terminology like this is a family. We're living on mission together. We're sharing life together. Um, we've talked about how our city is a city of orphans, and we get to father our city. We get to parent our city. Um, and so when we redefine these familial relationships, we don't look at each other uh, as friends. We look at each other as family, as brothers, and as sisters. And that changes that changes the dynamic, okay? And that means when you, have, uh, when you have issues, you're able to resolve them. You're not saying, okay, I don't need this anymore, and I'll go find another community. And this is the fourth one, die to yourself. This is uh, Epaphroditus and his example. Die to your preferences, die to your own selfish desires. This is all Philippians chapter 2. Where, where Paul is leading up to the example of Christ Jesus and says, look at Jesus and what he's done for us. He's, he's uh, died to himself so that we might live. And this is what the family of God should act like. Okay? And this, isn't a, um, this isn't a service in the sense of you come in here on Sunday mornings, you get something, and you leave. This is a community. This is a place where you hopefully want to invest as a family to live on mission for Jesus, to influence our city, to influence our world, to find your identity in Christ, to find your destiny in Christ. And we get to do that together. Like, that's the Christian community. That's why the church at Philippi is so concerned about one of their own. That's why Epaphroditus is so concerned about them being concerned about one of their own. Because they've all died to themselves, and they know that they're doing something 
as part of something greater in this world. So those are, those are four things. Remember those, write those down. When you read this passage, know those. Genuine concern for others. Seek the interests of Christ. Redefine your familiar relationships and die to yourself. That's something we say all the time. If you've been around Daniel and I for any length of time, we say die to yourself constantly. You know why? Because the Bible says it constantly. <laughs> Paul says it all the time. So let me, let me move on. I'm, I'm going to run through those real quick, um, Mindy. So uh, there's, a, there's a guy, his name is M. Scott Peck. He died a little over 10 years ago. He's an American psychiatrist, author, spiritual guru. He's actually pretty, he's somewhat controversial. He's not, um, he, he went into Eastern mysticism um, early on in life, and then he uh, adopted Christianity. And I use that word because he's not, he's not what you would say orthodox in his Christianity, but he loves the idea of Christianity. Um, so it's a debate whether to, it's a, bit, it's a debate to whether he was actually a genuine follower of Jesus or not. But um, he's, he's actually lived the last half of his life in the Christian framework um, out of this Eastern mysticism foundation. So just to give you a little background on him, um, and now I'm going to use his stuff. So <laughs> he, he says a couple things about community here. He says community has four different stages, and the first one is pseudo-community, okay? And community works through through these stages, and we're, we're, we're along, and they're in order, so we're along the spectrum somewhere. And he would, before I get into that, you know, we're in this, we're leading up to our Mental Health Awareness Month, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, we're leading this whole series up to Mental Health Awareness Month. Each of our BLGs is, is doing something to, to serve in, in and during Mental Health Awareness Month, so just as a church as a whole, we're pushing towards this. Um, and Scott Peck would say that your mental health is directly proportional to your experience of community. Okay? He would say that your mental health is directly proportional to your experience in community. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying your mental state. I'm saying your mental health. Okay? Um, your mental state is, don't, don't switch those out. Those are different. Um, he would say, uh, also he would affirm that your mental state is, <clears throat> um, uh, wait, I'm getting that mixed up. So he would say that your experience of community is directly proportional to your spiritual state. Okay? So your mental health and then your spiritual state flow into community. Okay? Um, so pseudo-community. I'm not going to read all that. You don't have to read all that. I'm going to summarize it for you in like two seconds. So basically, pseudo-community is built around conflict avoidance. Like if conflict, there's non, it's non-confrontational. It's, it's, you know, very surface level. Like we don't ever butt heads. You know, people want to be loving. Uh, but in doing so, they withhold truth about themselves. They withhold their feelings. You don't really share your true feelings because you don't want to offend the other person. The other person doesn't do it because they don't want to offend you. So you're kind of living in this, like, pseudo-state. You're not really in community. You're just maybe your basic friends, okay? 
what happens is individual differences are then minimized, they are uh, unacknowledged, they're ignored, and it looks like the group's functioning smoothly, but really there's no intimacy, there's really no true honesty, and there's no transparency. Okay? Um, this is, uh, in many ways, this is the culture we live in. This is the country we live in. This is Canada. This is, uh, you know, we're not wanting to offend each other. You know, we're, we, we all have pretty high walls. We don't let people in. Um, and it takes a while to climb someone's wall to get, to get over that. We have, we have high walls of saying, you know, you, you, that's your space. You stay over there. This is my space. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. We won't have to talk about it, and we'll still be friends. But that minimizes your differences. That's pseudo-community. Next stage is called chaos, um, which you're like, wait, that's supposed to be the next step. That's, that's supposed to be better. But yeah, chaos, <laughs> maybe that should be first. But no, chaos happens once the individual differences start to surface, and then the group doesn't know how to deal with it. So it immediately moves into chaos. And it centers around, he says, this well-intentioned, misguided attempts to heal other people of their individual differences or to start to convert them away from the individual differences into your own. They start to come out in the open. The group says, no, no, no. Um, and then he says it's a stage of uncreative, unconstructive fighting and struggle. He says it's no fun. And then people start attacking each other. And what normally happens is they start attacking the leader. So the group begins to organize, but not in a way to hash out their individual differences, but to say, we need a new leader. Um, and he says that that's not a long-term solution. That's not how you're going to get out of chaos. You need to actually deal with your individual differences. Chaos. Um, this is actually, that's America right there. <laughs> Everyone has their individual rights, their individual differences, and um, they're all, if you've watched anything in the political uh, landscape this past year, you see that's like, it's, that's the best word to describe it. It's just chaos. Um, people, it's unconstructive fighting and struggle, and um, they don't know how to handle individual differences. Uh, so that's the second stage of community. He says, in order to get out of chaos, you need to go into the third stage. Emptiness. The goal is true community. In order to get from chaos to true community, the bridge is emptiness. It's the hardest, the most crucial stage in community. Because it means that you start to empty yourself of your preferences. You start to die to yourself. You put aside your individual differences. And not in the way that you ignore them. You say, look, here they are. They're on the table. Now you put your individual differences on the table. Truth starts to happen. Honesty begins to happen. Now you start to face the truth about each other. Um, you know, when I met Daniel uh, the first time, so when we met and started Trinity Life Church, we didn't know each other at all. We didn't know, I didn't know what kind of leader he was. If I, know, if I knew now what I knew then, we wouldn't be doing this together. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> we, I didn't know what kind of person he was. I didn't know if we could be friends. I knew nothing about him except he looked like a really cool Asian guy. So, um, and, and he thought I was Puerto Rican. So, <laughs> um, but 
one thing he said to me, I'll always remember when we first started like having coffees and, and dreaming together, he was like, you like me now, but you haven't seen my warts yet. And I was like, I don't know if I want to see your warts. Where are your warts? <laughs> um, uh, and I always remember that because I was like, we need to see each other's warts in order to have true community. Um, his warts haven't scared me away yet. So uh, we need to do that. And that's coming out of chaos into emptiness. He says the most common barriers are expectations, preconceptions, false assumptions, prejudices, ideology, theology, solutions, the need to control, heal, fix, convert, solve. This stage of emptiness is ushered in as members begin to share their own brokenness, their defeats, their failures, their fears, rather than acting as if they have it all together. Emptiness. This is what I was talking about before in your, in your body life groups in a church. That's the type of community that we've been calling us to be as a church, this community where we empty ourselves. And when we do that, we get the result, which is true community. And true community emerges as a group not only begins to embrace the good things about each other, but they begin to embrace the, the, the hard things about each other, the difficult things about each other. The fact that, uh, wow, you confess your sin to me and you struggle with his sin, and I can say, I love you anyways because of Christ, and we can walk through this together. The fact that you can fail and fail in a safe place and not fear judgment or um, public disgrace, that you can fail and actually be lifted up uh, in, that same, in that same environment. He says the transformation of the group from a collection of individuals in a true community requires little deaths in many of the individuals. We're all dying to ourselves. But it's also a time of group death where we all have to die. And he says, through this emptiness, this sacrifice comes true community. It's a kind of peace. Members begin to speak of their deepest and most vulnerable parts, and others just simply listen. There'll be tears of sorrow, of joy, and the result is an extraordinary amount of healing begins to occur. And that's true community. That's what, that's what we want at Trinity Life Church. That's what we're going towards. Jesus says a couple things to his disciples. He says a lot of things to his disciples before he dies. But he says, he says some really, two really big things. Um, he gives them a new commandment in, in John uh, 13 and 15. He says, the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And Jesus begins to, to teach them what the community is going to look like. He says, the community that's going to arise after I'm gone needs to look like this. He says, because by this, all people are going to know that you are my disciples. You're my followers if you have love for one another. And then in 15, he says that this love looks like this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that word for friends could just be literally translated as um, the people you love the people you care about, the people who love you. And so he says, when you have love for one another, 
that love is going to look like you laying your life down for one another. Epaphroditus does that. Paul does that. Timothy's done that. The Philippian church has died together as a group and done that. And they've laid down their lives to one another and they're experiencing community. Earlier on in this, in this book, uh, Paul says that Jesus does that. Philippians chapter 2, he says, Jesus emptied himself. He died to himself. He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, it says. Even though he was in the form of God, he steps out of heaven, he empties himself, takes on the form of a servant. And it's not only this, this spiritual uh, emptying that Jesus does, it says he does it to the point of physical death. He does it to the point of death on a cross. The God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, steps out of heaven into our world to be obedient to the point of death on a cross. A tree that he himself created. He submits himself and he says, I'm going to die for the sake of this community. Paul says elsewhere that Jesus loves this community, this church, in such a way that he gives himself up for it, that he dies for it. And Timothy's following this example. Epaphroditus is following this example. Paul is following this example. It's the example that Paul is calling us to when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And if we're to make any change in this world, if we're to make any change in our city, it's going to be because we're a community like this. Not because we come here just to sing some, some songs and to move on, hear, hear a, a guy speak, but it's because we're going to be a community that is living on mission, a community that is seeking the interests of Christ, a community that is genuinely concerned for the other person, and a community that is dying to ourselves. And it's not easy. It's not easy to die to ourselves. Paul says we have to do it every day. You have to remind yourself every day that you are dying to yourself and you're living to Christ. Paul describes this also in Romans 12. He says, we are living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You know what the problem with the living sacrifices? We crawl off the altar all the time. And Paul says, no, get back on the altar. You have to do this every single day. Die to yourself. If you want to experience community, you have to expense yourself. And if you expense yourself, you will experience community. You have to give of yourself to get it. And so I just want to encourage you guys to live out the example of Christ Jesus. To pour yourselves in if you want to experience this type of community. All right, let's pray.